Action. What a great song. I miss Elvis. Oh, so do I. Miss <laughs> little Mr. Ed and little <laughs> El- Was that sorry. Mr. Ed or sorry. was that Elvis? Oh, yeah. I got that Miss Elvis. Sorry. sorry. Now you just sound like you're having yeah, a stroke. I'm sorry. I'll Folks, welcome to the... Simpson. <laughs> Homer <laughs> Simpson doing Elvis. Gornut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the uh, Drew Marshall Show. Uh, we're streaming live... Sandwiches. <laughs> we got to shut this guy. <laughs> we're streaming live at drewmarshall.ca and we're live right here in Southern Ontario on Joy 1250. It's time for the pub crawl and that's where we uh, crack open a few topics... Uh, normally, but today there's just one topic. Sometimes there's just one topic. Sometimes the topic is so big, there's no room for other topics. To yes. <laughs> like when you need a dental implant. Does that make me sound old, yes. that commercial? <laughs> yeah, isn't it sad? How we're, you and I with our glasses, we have to put on every so often oh, to see the papers. Have you ever cracked a tooth? Uh, I've never cracked a tooth. I've chipped teeth, but I've never cracked one. Oh, it hurts. Really? Oh, dude. Because you're like totally exposed to like the, the nerve endings. You it's know, horrible. Everything. Shall we get on with the pub crawl? Yeah, sure. This week on the pub crawl, Mr. Bruxy Cavey, he's the author of The End of Religion, one of my most favorite books. He's also the teaching pastor at the Meeting House, the only church I will darken the doors of. Bruxy.com. That's right, Bruxy.com. If you can figure out how to spell it, then you deserve to read his material. <laughs> Dr. Paul Metzger, founder and director of the Institute for the Theology of Culture, New Wine, New Wineskins at Multnomah University. I thought Multnomah was pretty conservative and wouldn't talk about wine. Mm-hmm. Wine. Professor at uh, sorry, professor of Christian theology and theology of culture, editor of Cultural Encounters, a journal for the theology of culture, and he also blogs at Uncommon Ground, Common Good. See, his bio is a lot bigger than Bruxy's. Bruxy, um, why isn't your bio longer? Why why haven't you done more? I'm stupid. <laughs> It's my kind of guy right there, Bruxy Cavey. is good for the heart. Dr. Paul Metzger is also on the line, and he, Paul, where are you right now? What state are you in? I'm in Oregon presently. Okay. Well, being in Oregon, then you could possibly be in an entirely different state of Uh mind, you see? Yes, nicely done, Drew. Thank you. That is true. Often have. Uh, Paul, Bruxy, Bruxy, Paul, have you guys ever spoken to each other? No, Paul, this is a privilege, and I'm a, I'm a fan. I didn't know you were going to be on the same time, so this is a pleasant surprise for me. Thank oh, you for this that was, privilege. That was me. That was my bad. Bruxy, I completely gapped on letting you know this. What an idiot well, I am. No, that's so nice, like a blind well, date, and I'm really, What's I'm that, really Paul? happy with the results. Great to be with you, too. Oh, thank you. Yes, it is good to be with me. All right, um, let's, get, <laughs> let's get into this subject uh, today, and it really is just one subject, and this came about as a result of a friend of mine uh, showing me a GIF or as the guy apparently who invented it likes to call okay, it. I just have to ask a question. What? Is the image moving? Oh, if it's not moving, it's not a GIF? It's a meme. Oh. M-E-M-E. No, a meme is a moving one. No, a GIF is a moving one. Oh, brother. Anyway, this picture that I found on the internet, meme. which sounds weirder meme. now, is, uh, th- it says this. A Muslim, a Jew, a Christian, a pagan, and an atheist walk into a coffee shop. They talk, they laugh, they drink coffee, they become good friends. It's not a joke. It's what happens when you're not a gluteus maximus hole. So... Um, that got me thinking about the the Jesus community, and 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 here let me just set this up, guys, and then we're going to tear right into it. Okay, so here's the question for our listeners to ponder: Is it only the evangelical Christians who can't play nice with others? In other words, are they the gluteus maximus holes? And if so, why? And does all this come down to them needing to convert? people in order to save them from hell and if that is the case you know that's kind of sort of a nice thing isn't it that's kind of admirable 
And isn't there some truth to the fact that at the core of all major world religions, there are clear and vast differences in their doctrines? So much so that if discussed, wouldn't the end of that discussion arrive sooner rather than later? And maybe the only way to actually keep the interfaith discussions going is to shelve or sweep under the, the carpet those major theological doctrinal differences. And if someone just keeps avoiding the divisive issues, like uh, Stephen Harper, uh, doesn't that make them a wimpy, liberal, watered-down believer? That was a joke there. Uh, or, is it ju- or is that just what evangelicals teach, right? If you, don't, if you don't tell someone they're going to hell, then you're not really a Christian kind of stuff. These days, it certainly seems that anyone who actually stands for a religious belief in its entirety, guys seems to be one of society's new pariah or gluteus maximus holes. So, uh, let me just start with Bruxy just quickly. Bruxy, I can think back to when I used to be a pastor, don't tell anyone, and I was in Australia, and we had some ministers' fraternal meetings once a month with different ministers from the local area. And I had to pretend that I liked these guys. And I had to pretend that I was okay with what they really believed. When I wasn't okay. Are these ministers of the Christian faith? or are these? Yeah, they, these were Jesus guys. But oh, okay. Still, you know, some of them were Catholic. <gasps> Ooh. Some of them were, were, were uniting church, as they call them in Australia. You know what I'm saying? Some of them would have liked gays. Come Ooh, on. Ooh, true. So, Bruxy, I need some help. <laughs> well, there's a couple of uh, New Testament verses that tell us how we're supposed to approach our conversations with non-Christians, and they're pretty clear. Uh, they're, uh, in Colossians, the Apostle Paul says our conversation should always be full of grace and seasoned with salt. In other words, whether we agree or we disagree, a non-Christian should come away talking from a Christian saying, hmm, that was tasty. That was nice. That was pleasant. There's something positive about my interaction with them. And then in First Peter uh, th- uh, 3, we're told that we should always make sure that we're engaging with gentleness and respect. Those are the two qualities that are blatantly described as our inter- uh, what our interaction with non-Christians should contain. So I think it's got to be possible to be people who speak the truth, who um, are honest and open about what we believe, and who are also gentle and respectful in the way we do it. I've I got to believe the two can coexist. Okay, this will show you my level of maturity, guys. All I heard was salt and Peter. That's all I heard. And delicious. Okay, so Dr. Metzger, by the way, do you mind if I call you Paul? It's just kind of more casual. Is that okay? Am I allowed? That, that would be fine. Okay. Paul, you've written extensively about this, and you've, you've sort of, you know, you spent a lot of your life in this sort of conversation. Uh, would you, would you, if you had the leaders of the ev- the fundamentalist evangelicals who were having a tough time with interfaith stuff because they they felt they just couldn't be a part of that community or that dialogue, what would you say to them? If you had all of the fundamentalist evangelicals in in one room, what would you say to them? I'd say be biblical uh, for one. I think that's key because they're going to resonate uh, hopefully with the desire to be biblical and. Bruxy had just given some great texts, uh, just to pick up on First Peter 3 again. You know, always being prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within us when asked, and always to do so with, as he said, gentleness and respect. That's key. And Peter and Paul were living in a multi-faith society. We live in a multi-faith society. They lived in a multi-faith society. They were rubbing shoulders with people of other traditions all the time. And so they were aware of the fact that, you know, you're not going to earn a right to be heard unless you show gentleness and respect, and hopefully we really do respect others and care to hear from them. Uh, if I could just share a text that I would share with them, I share it all the time in classes and written through this text, and that's 
Pac-17, which I think would have been true for Paul, not just in that context, but in other contexts as well. Acts 17, he's actually quoting from a hymn to Zeus and saying that somehow or another that reflects the one true God. And so while he's not going in a pluralistic direction with it, he draws from a plurality of perspectives to make his case. And while he grieved over the idolatry in Athens as a good, God-fearing Jewish man, nonetheless, he showed respect, he earned the right to be heard. They asked him to come and speak at the Areopagus. He didn't force his way upon them. And in the marketplace of ideas and uh, concern for the common good, today in our pluralistic, increasingly pluralistic cultural context, I think the more biblical we are going to be, the more respectful we'll be of others. And that's often seen as oxymoronic to people. Hmm. But that's just the way these guys had to operate back then. And we're going to need to learn to do that more and more as Christ followers today and it'll be for the benefit of the common good. Okay, Bruxy, where do you think this interfaith trend is actually taking us? Is there a, you know, I, I hesitate using this word because it's such a it's such a cliche these days, but or this phrase, is it a slippery slope, Bruxy? Are we heading into a, a one-world, you know, Mark of the Beast, uh, uh, Kirk Cameron kind of scenario? <laughs> uh, no, listen, there's a difference between interfaith and interfaith dialogue. Uh, we're not trying to syncretistically just blend together all of our different beliefs, take you the best of, and sandwich. Because you were right, Drew, earlier you said there are real distinct differences. But Jesus held out the hope that we could be big enough boys and girls, that we could have honest, disagreeing conversations about real differences, and do it in a way that was still respectful and, and God-honoring as well as human being-honoring. And I love how Paul mentioned Acts 17, because uh, Paul began his sermon to the Areopagus there that he was invited to speak at by saying he notices their monument to an unknown god and he says so that which you are ignorant of in your worship that you worship in ignorance this i want to proclaim to you what you worship in ignorance is what i want to proclaim to you in other words paul is building a bridge he could have just rebuked them for their idolatry and said you heathen horde how dare you insult the god almighty with you but instead he builds a bridge by saying you actually worship the same God I do in one area of your life, that is in this monument to an unknown God. Let's start with that. And he doesn't compromise his faith, but he finds some common ground as a starting point, and out of gentleness and respect, he honors where they're at in one area, and then uses that as an opportunity to build a bridge to talk about Jesus. I think it's a brilliant example of what we're talking about here. Uh, Paul Metzger on the line with us as well, Dr. Paul Metzger. Paul, you know, the, the, where I think evangelical fundamentally we're using all these terms because i'm trying to i'm trying to take a group of people and put them in a box and then light that box on fire in some ways um what i'm trying to uh, to uh, to get here is there is a group of people that just can't let the conversation go because they and and this is true of i guess all monotheistic belief systems a monotheistic belief system would claim some exclusivity in regards to how to get to heaven. Uh, but then there's the conversion thing. There are scriptures that would suggest that Christians need to go around telling people about Jesus. Are they misreading those scriptures? And and, and then there's scriptures that, that certainly talk about hell. Are we misreading those scriptures? And then now we're into... I've got about 19 questions for you here, Paul, in the in one. But then, then we're into... Um, you know the watering like i'm i'm also i don't want to swing the other way either paul i don't want to be just mamby pamby consumeristic about about belief i admire people who say this is what i believe 
So what what are we to do with this with this whole thing? And can you get one question out of any of that? <laughs> uh, it's, it's quite a bit there, but I'll give it my best shot. Uh, you know, I worked extensively, and uh, some evangelicals with me at New Wine and Wineskins at Multnomah University with a Zen Buddhist community in Portland, Oregon. Uh, Abbot Kilgan Carlson, he passed away last year. Um, he and I developed a very strong friendship and partnership, and we have done what we would call multi-faith dialogue, and perhaps there will be an opportunity to distinguish that from what's often seen as interfaith, but multi-faith dialogue. And what we've always been about is going through our convictions, not around our convictions, where we leave our convictions at the door and try and come at some kind of neutral ground. Like Bruxy said, we want to build bridges, but it's building bridges, and I think you would agree with this, uh, going through our respective traditions, seeking to meet one another in terms of shared values that we may have, like how to be more compassionate as Buddhists and Christians. They're going through our convictions, not around them, and not stopping short at them, where unless they convert to my position or I convert to their position, we can't have discussion. And my Buddhist friends know that as an evangelical, I want to see them come to faith in Jesus Christ. They also would prefer that I would come to experience the profundity of the Dharma, of ultimate reality as understood through the Dharma. Uh, we share some... Um, passions uh, for um, encouraging people to consider ultimate reality from our vantage point, our respective vantage points. So we're not compromising, but we're going through our convictions, and we're not baiting and switching where we say, well, we're really after a friendship, but in the fine print we're not. No, whether or not they come to faith in Jesus Christ, or whether or not I come to uh, become a Buddhist or not, we still seek after a friendship and partnership because we think that that's key for our shared humanity. And so we've been able to do that. He and I had uh, written a book before his passing, and it was called Evangelical Zen, A Christian Spiritual Travels with a Buddhist Friend. It just came out. But it's uh, huh. that's, that's what we've been about, and I believe that that is something that can be done, is being done by the group I work with, the Foundation for Religious Diplomacy. And I've had to tell evangelicals who are concerned about what I do, I say, why should they listen to us and we're, if we're not listening to them? Uh, and that kind of stands out to them. It's like, wow, that, that makes sense, because people are wired relationally. Uh, people need to be respected. All of us desire that, and I want to make sure I'm doing that as a Christian. Otherwise, I'm doing severe harm to the name uh, and honor of Christ. All right, let me, just, those people. let me just bring everyone up to speed. First of all, you're listening to the Drew Marshall Show. We're streaming live at drewmarshall.ca, and we're live here in southern Ontario on uh, Joy 1250. On the phone with Bruxy Cavey, he's the author of The End of Religion, teaching pastor at The Meeting House. His website is bruxy.com, B-R-U-X-Y.com. Dr. Paul Metzger, he's an author, of course, as well. He just spoke about his book, or one of his books, a founder and director of the Institute for the Theology of Culture, a New Wine, New Wineskins at Multnomah University. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other things that he does as well, but um, you can find out more about him at his website. That's paullewismetzger.com. Paul Louis, Louis Louis Metzger.com. <laughs> Bruxy, can you just explain to me the the uh, backsliding um, action that you took uh, by marking your left arm, your left yeah, forearm? Baby. <laughs> Loving that. How did this come up? All right, sure. Um, I got a uh, tattoo on my arm. I wanted to get a tattoo. I've been planning on it for years, and so I wanted to get a scripture verse, and I thought, what would be the best scripture verse, actually, that would lead me to conversations about Jesus? That was my 
my motivation from the start. And uh, I've toyed, you know, is it going to be John 3.16? Is it going to be uh, Ephesians 2.8? What's going to lead me to conversation? So I, I finally found the right scripture. And what, what verse did you end up printing on your arm? Leviticus 19.28. And what's so special about that verse, Bruxy Cavey? Leviticus 19.28 is that Bible verse that says, whatever you do, don't get a tattoo. (laughs) 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 Woo! Just blew my head off there. All right, and why? Why did you do that, you cheeky little monkey? Well, because I want to be intentional about leading our conversations to Jesus, and one of the beautiful things about the irony of that is that it can only be explained as in one of two ways. Either I'm a person who just wants to give God the finger and I'm complete rebellion, or I'm a person who actually fully embraces the new covenant that Christ brought. You know, it's the verse just before this that says, um, if you're a man, you can't trim your beard or the sides of your hair. And uh, and verses just a few before that in the same chapter say you can't wear clothing woven of two different kinds of material. So we're already we're already believing we're freed from the law. I just wanted to start that conversation in a tattoo. And the only explanation, if I'm not a, someone who just wants to give God the finger, and I don't, if, if I'm a Christian, I'm actually a pastor who wants to lead people to Jesus, is that I really believe Jesus came to make a difference. He saves us not only from our sin, he saves us also from our religion. We are new covenant, and we are freed into a new way of living following the love ethic of Christ. All right. Stop hogging the airtime, Bruxy Kibbe. <laughs> on the sh- what do you think about that, Doctor Paul Metzger? Do you have any um, cheeky tattoos like Bruxy Kibbe? I wish I did. Uh, I wish you were my pastor. I really like it. <laughs> um, okay, Paul. I want to just come back to this multi-faith versus interfaith thing. How do you concisely explain to two idiots like Tim and I? the difference between yes i included you into that Uh, sorry i wasn't paying attention what's the difference between multi-faith and interfaith well so often again it's you know sometimes it's it's not so much the terms but how the terms are unpacked and so you know sometimes we use the terms interfaith other times multi-faith but again interfaith so often doesn't deal with the thick narrative descriptions that distinguish different religious traditions and uh whereas multi-faith uh, the foundation for religious diplomacy we have is our tagline, and it's made up of different religions. We have different chapters from Buddhist, Davidoff Christian, uh, Roman Catholic, Mormon, uh, uh, you know, uh, as I said, Buddhist, uh, Islam, etc. But what we're after is going uh, to account for our thick narrative descriptions rather than, shall we say, going about it by way of thin pea soup. And our, our tagline is, so to speak, trusted rivals. But there is a rival between rivalry between these uh, groupings, but we're trusted. There's a friendship. There's a respect that goes on. But we're not saying the same thing. And I've always appreciated again my interaction with Zen Buddhist priests who would say we're not saying the same thing. And I just I appreciate that because if we don't account for the significant differences that you outlined at the origins of the show today, if we don't account for them, we're not going to be able to really navigate. Uh, the culture war terrain that's so often present in our society, and the more these faiths come together, and if we're saying, we're all saying the same thing, when you deal with Orthodox Muslims, Orthodox Jews, Orthodox Christians, you know, lowercase here, uh, there's going to be more of an explosiveness because we haven't really made time to consider how to navigate the difficult conversations, the, the um, disparities between us, and that's that's where it's most difficult. That's where the heavy sledding occurs, and that's what we're after at the Foundation for Religious Diplomacy. 
Okay. All right. Uh, Tim the Tool is my engineer who sits across the desk from me and says stuff once in a while, but he also gives me a stink eye. Why? Are, what is your problem over <laughs> well, there? I mean, we're talking about Jesus, so why don't we bring him into the conversation? I my, I love two things about him is, you know, the people he was most antagonistic with were not people outside of the faith. It was people within the faith, like the Pharisees, the, the right-wing conservative idiots. And the other thing that I love about him is the woman at the well. You know, he ended up talking to a woman who was a Sumerian who was committing all these horrible sins, and he didn't tear her down. He met her where she was. Go and sin no more. Yeah, No, but that was after she came to the realization. Okay. He, he didn't hit her up with that initially. He met her where she was and just talked with her. Can I, uh, guys, I, practically, this has been a little up in the clouds for me. So practically, we, you know, let's say I, I, um, I start a meeting amongst all the different religious leaders in my community, and we sit down, and we, and then all of a sudden somebody, somebody says, uh, you know, let's. I think we should pray. And one of the groups is, I don't know what group it is, but one of the groups, um, however they are going to pray, or who they're going to pray to, freaks me out because I don't agree with it. I don't. I think it's evil. It's if it's not of Jesus, it's of Satan. You know that kind of stuff. Bruxy, what do I do? Do I say I'm sorry? I can't. I'm, I can't do this. I can't be part of this interfaith group or this this multi faith group. I'm using well, if that's word. truly the situation, Drew. Then here's what you need to do. You need to grow up. Thank you. Yeah. All okay. Right. There Thank we you. go. All right. Let them be authentic to what they believe, and you're going to pray according to what you believe. Yeah, but I might get get evil on me or something. <laughs> That's called superstition, Drew. Oh. That's, that's, uh, that's not, listen, the, the, you know that, that passage in 1 Peter 3.15 that says gentleness and respect is how we should talk to people? Uh, Peter precedes that comment by saying, but remember, set, a, set, part, uh, set apart Christ in your heart as Lord. He's Lord. He's the center of it all. And you don't have to compromise in order to show this gentleness and respect. Uh, the two can go hand in hand. In fact, if you're very Christ-centered, you're very Jesus-focused, and you're trying to become like him, you're his disciple, then you are going to follow his pattern of of gentleness and respect towards people uh, who are um, not Christians, who are not trying to follow his way, and who are not claiming to know better, who okay. are claiming to follow the Bible. But Paul, is there, Paul, is there, is there, just give me a practical example of where a Christian, if you're, if you're a genuine Christian, and that's, I always like that one, eh? if you're a real Christian, um, where you need to draw the line and say, I'm sorry, I can't participate, I can't do this. Well, I mean, I've been at uh, worship services uh, for other religions or memorial services, whatever you would want to call it. You know, I'm not going to worship uh, other deities, or uh, I'm not going to worship from the vantage point of their particular tradition. Uh, I may be worshiping Jesus in the midst of their worship, but I, I won't bow the knee to uh, a, a deity that's claimed to be other than Christ. So, uh, yeah, so if the whole group is bowing example, a knee or if the whole group is singing a song to yeah. whatever, then what do you do? Stand there with your arms crossed? No, I might I might be bound to. It's case by case in the situation, but who am I praying to? And, you know, you have Naaman in the Old Testament asking Elisha, of all people, if my master bows down in the temple and he leans on me, will I be um, uh, exempted, so to speak, before God if I yeah. bow with him? And Elisha says, you have God's blessing. So it's, it's case by case. You can't have a one-size-fits-all approach to things, but back to the prayer issue, if we don't show respect for other traditions in a discussion or in a service of some kind for them to pray in the name of their gods or in the name of their tradition, we shouldn't expect 
in a multi-faith society that we're going to give, be given that opportunity either. So Christians just really need to ask themselves, what are we really after in this? And uh, it's a pluralistic context in which we live. So uh, we could keep going on and on about it, but look at Billy Graham, the National Cathedral, uh, September 14, 2001, when he was speaking alongside of Jews and Muslims and others, his posture there was, now I'm I am speaking as a Christian, I am uh, calling out as a Christian. He allowed for it being part of a multi-faith conversation. Hmm. He said, as a Christian, this is how I see it. And he spoke in terms of their shared grief but from his particular tradition, and they were all sharing from their respective traditions at the National Cathedral. He modeled for evangelicals how to operate, and it was very practical, it was very concrete. He spoke to the particularity of the Christian claim, but with sensitivity to the others did not see things the way he did. Oh, man. Okay. Well, I you've given me lots to think about here, guys. Uh, obviously, we could rattle on about this a little bit longer, but we've uh, we kind of run out of time. You know, I, I keep thinking about uh, next week on our show, I've got uh, Peter Gilmore on, who's the high priest of the... Uh, Magist Peter Gilmore is the high priest of the Church of Satan. Second time on the show, and I, I find his uh, my, my time with him very enlightening, because he clears up the fallacy that I was I was taught back in the satanic panic days of Mike Warnke and the gang. <laughs> um and and so, but some people have said to me, you know, by giving him a platform at a Christian radio station, you're going to hell for that, sort of. That's what they're saying. And, you know, I just kind of go, eh, I'm not sure I, I dig that. When I was over visiting witches in the U.K., you know, uh, there's a well that they drink from over there, and uh, you got to pay to go into the well area. And I found a, a, a tap on the backside, a secret tap that I could take a drink out of, and because I just wanted to, you know, see what the water tastes like. I wasn't worshiping stuff that they were or whatever. It's just iron water. They say it tasted like blood, but it was just, you know, if you lived in the country, it's iron water. But somebody's going to say, oh, you, you're going to get contaminated. You're going to get evil on you. You're going to get a demonic spirit. You're going, and then you, you're forced to pull apart. Well, what do I believe about evil? And and what do I believe about this God that I'm actually into and and if this god i'm into is so wimpy that he can't handle me drinking iron water then i don't know what's going on here you know there's so many practical things or when i was at the Hare krishna temple uh with bhakti Mart swami and and listening and then they started singing and you know i don't like singing in church so it's not an issue for me to sing at the Hare krishna temple because i just stand there with you know looking like an idiot stupid doofus male anyway um, and then they start dancing and eating, and am, am I sacrificing things? That, you know, So I try to make this as practical as possible, and all I know is, in discussion after discussion after discussion, the jerks that people are talking about in the world when it comes to irritating other people with what they believe, it, it, nine times out of ten, it's the Christians. And, and that's why I'm, tr- I'm, I'm just trying to pull that apart. So that's kind of what I hoped a little bit of this conversation was about. A closing comment from uh, Paul Metzger. Paul? Well, I appreciate the struggle that you're experiencing. I think we all face that, especially in our cultural context today. And I think that we just have to keep wrestling with what does it mean to be a Christian in a multi-faith society. And so I appreciate the questions you're raising. I appreciate the struggle. That is par for the course. And so uh, I just welcome the conversation. I think it's increasingly important. Website is paullewismetzger.com. Bruxy, final word? 
first of all, Drew, I'm sorry for the criticism you continually receive from the Christian uh, side. It seems to me that the weaker Christians, what Paul would call them in 1 Corinthians 8 and Romans 15, the weaker Christians, or Romans 14, are often the most vocal Christians. And I think uh, we do need to have those who are the stronger and more well-informed Christians become more vocal, and uh, that will be helpful. And the other thing I would say is that we continue to make the same mistake in Christian circles of confusing acceptance and agreement. We're afraid to accept people because when we accept people, we think it will be misinterpreted as agreement. And so the only way we can show we disagree is to not accept. And that confusion of acceptance and agreement as being the same thing will lead to all kinds of hurt and misunderstanding. Yeah. Yeah, really well said. That's a good closing word right there. That's a lot better than all the crap I said. Well done, Bruxy. <laughs> well done. Paul hey, Metzger. Drew, come back to church. Yes. We're doing Deliver Us from Evil. Deliver, oh. uh, about uh, the, does Satan actually have any of this power or not? So come on. What, church, are you so. really? That's what we're, yes, come tomorrow. That's funny. Okay, so uh, don't forget, next week, the High Priest of the Church of Satan and Bruxy Cavey on the Drew Marshall Show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good to chat with you, Bruxy. And, and Paul, what a, what a privilege. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been great to be with you both. Okay. All the best. Bye, guys. Yeah, Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Happy Halloween. We'll be right back.